Anderson. Hello and welcome to episode 16, I think, of the Geeks Codex podcast. Yes. We don't usually get this high. <laughs> what What is the highest we've got to? Uh, oh, I don't know. I think we maybe got to 18 before, so we're yeah. getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. It's almost time to make a new show. Yeah. Almost. Almost. Uh, you can tell that it's almost time to make a sh- new show, because uh, this episode is a Paul and Briggy special. Paul and Briggy in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Apart from it's Paul and Briggy very late at night. Yeah. So we might be slightly more subdued than usual, because we don't have the uh, the rabble-rousing, uh, effervescent personality of James Cook with us, as James is dying, ill, might already be dead, we're not sure. Isekai, I heard. Isekai, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. He's woken up in a in a fantasy world full of elves, yeah. and now he's working his way to the max level. Yeah, building transformers. <laughs> so he's been Isakai to Cybertron. Yes, that's how that works. And Ashley Pearson is also not with us this week, but hopefully next week's episode we should have a full force. So in the meantime, me and Paul are going to discuss um, recommendations for TV shows that we both put forward. Unfortunately, uh, James also put one forward and then couldn't be here today, so. Uh, yeah, Tiger and Bunny, that was a thing. That was a show. Yeah. If you want to find out more, check out our Twitters. <laughs> yeah, we, we live-tweeted it, both of us. Yeah. Um, we might discuss it one day. <laughs> if James listens back to this episode, then it's James's uh, impetus to get us to actually discuss it at some point. There we go. It's all on you, James. Yeah, and with that said, let's move on to our first recommendation. So, Paul, you uh, you recommended a show that I should watch an episode of. Yes. So now you need to sell me on watching the rest of it, yes. which you can also find on my Twitter that I live-tweeted it. So, uh, what was it, Paul? My show uh, was the Netflix original series, which is She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. We're on the edge of greatness, turning darkness to light. We're right beside you, ready to fight. We're gonna win in the end. We must be strong and we must be brave. We must be brave. We're gonna fight and reveal strength that we have and never let it go. We must be strong. Um, and I can sell you quite <laughs> easily on this show in seven words. Oh, do do say it. Kevin Smith Netflix He Man tie in with show. <laughs> I saw that news and I was like, oh, it's time to watch all of this so I can get ready for Kevin Smith's version of He Man and Skeletor. Yeah, because apparently, even though it's supposed to be taking a place in a possibly different timeline, it's okay because they will be able to time stuff through. Because apparently, the original He Man series took place in a different timeline from She Ra, but because there's only like five or six episode overlap between the two of them because literally they recorded the original T-Man in as like a, a block and then when that was starting to wane in popularity they brought in She-Ra and then that went and did it all its thing and everyone thought they were in parallel but the only reason that was is because of like syndication yeah so they just play this episodes on loop in the same time but it, if you look at the timelines like Skeletor's <laughs> part of the horde so <laughs> Oh, you're making the show even better in retrospect now. I am like 110% in now. Yeah. But still try and sell me on the show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in terms of She-Ra and the Princess of Power, if you've been listening to the podcast for any period of time, you might have heard me mention it once or twice. Um, it's now up to three seasons. I've seen the first two seasons. And it is a case that uh, as a show, I watched the, the first one sort of out of a sort of general curiosity of, oh, it's a new animated Netflix show. They do all right on those. Some are hit, some are miss. 
but it was a, a case of oh I know I know Shira. What have they done with her? And what they've done with Shira is, is they've made a good show, which is impressive considering uh, essentially that they've rewritten the entirety of how it works as a show, uh, rather than doing the, the traditional sort of fantasy straightforward uh, princess who is then raised and and then fights the evil. They they do the whole oh she starts off where she's on the bad side and then she gets turned to be good by friendship. I think this is worth pointing out as well. This is not DreamWorks as um, DreamWorks as is that how you would say that? <laughs> Dream, it's not DreamWorks as like first foray into adapting an older uh, animation in something new, especially for Netflix as well. Because yeah. they were the guys behind uh, Voltron: Defenders of the Earth, which having very loose memories of the original Voltron and then watching season one of that show when it was big and people talking about it. That also plays around with the original storyline, but I think that probably stays, from what I've seen of episode one of Shira at least, I think Voltron stayed much closer to its mm. source material while still adapting it, whereas from everything you've ever said in passing during podcasts and pre-podcast chats, and then me watching this one episode, it's straying way further from its source material. Yeah, I mean, if you if you put them side by side, they're completely different shows, the yeah. original Shira and, and the new one. And the new one is is very much a, a modern animation show in that it is, whilst it is, um, like you can watch individual episodes, it is essentially a, a serialised Well, that one was sort of thing. like Transformers before it was made to sell toys. Yeah. That's why it's a, I mean, I mentioned it on the podcast myself before, and like anyone that's not seen it should still get around to watching it, but the Netflix documentary series, The Toys That Made Us, do a fantastic episode on He-Man, and thus also have to cover She-Ra, and the whole crossover between the toys and where that existed, so... Voltron itself, the new the new Voltron by DreamWorks, wasn't as focused on toy sales as Voltron clearly was when they adapted the various animes that made Voltron into Voltron in the West. So I think the same thing goes for Shiro, is that they're not tied to toy sales. In fact, I would love to see what the toy sales for the new Shiro were like. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't more the associated materials like clothing or um, sort of... Uh, comics. Comics, those sort of things where you can... As essentially sell to a wider audience of rather than just the toys because I, I don't think it's very in terms of the show it's it's not very much aimed at a sort of a toy specific that whilst the characters are all very well designed I think they're all um, fairly like unique and they they all fit a particular mold which is nice none of them sort of scream oh and get a uh, battle ready um, Shira, so that you can have uh, this particular sword in, instead of the previous sword. This is the opposite entirely to me and my experience with He-Man toys. It's like, you wanted He-Man, you definitely didn't want Prince Adam. Yes. Now, I was like, don't much care for Shira as a design, but would very much buy an Adora. <laughs> I love that outfit. Yeah, it's it's in terms of the design aesthetic for a lot of the choices of the show, like Catra is, is on point. Um, Glimmer is just like adorably <laughs> like it's that thing where they're all I mean Bo let's face it Bo I did tweet about Bo <laughs> yeah Bo is like an amazing sort of decision especially considering the original Bo in, in Shira being so like an iconically sort of flamboyant like design and then the modern Bo is sort of like just like it, whilst you might say it's flamboyant he plays it so straight. You're just like, oh yeah, that's just how he is. <laughs> it's just there's there's an episode where they have his parents. Right. They don't know about him being a freedom fighter, 
and they are they're librarians so they're quite like they're styled and stuff but he he's dressed in like a school outfit because the way they try and play it off is that Adora is like one of his classmates right and it is hilarious because seeing him in like a school outfit you think (laughs) oh man like in terms of like slice of life like you could wear an outfit like that but then at one point then he, he goes full bow mode and then it's like, yeah, there you go. Now you look more comfortable. Now you look happy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there is it, in all the characters, especially things like the unicorn, uh, the unicorn, the Pegasus, um, sorry, the, the character, the, the horse that becomes a Pegasus. That was not in episode one, so I've not seen that. Uh, you are, you're like that because essentially um, Adora Pegasus is like whatever the, the the action or the verb to turn a horse into a pegasus she accidentally pegasus his horse and when she does it he he can talk like like in the original um she but he's a little bit more like i was a perfectly happy horse <laughs> you just turned me into this so you're gonna deal with it sort of thing the especially like with the the original like the hordak and katra and <laughs> her minions for born of a better word because there are some side characters who are like yeah we're the ba- we're also bad guys but you only get to see us in like background shots and we're not really main characters because yeah there's there's one of uh well there's two other characters who end up being sort of the the horde sort of mainstay ones apart from the hordak and the witch whose name i've forgotten yeah but there's there's a couple of other characters who eventually end up being on on the i still want to point out shadow weaver yes as a name Adora clearly didn't watch enough 80s cartoons. Now, that person is clearly evil. Yes, she's the, the witch. I don't know anything yeah. about... Like, I didn't watch the original She-Ra. Like, it's not in my lexicon of pop culture, so... I don't know these characters. I barely remember the He-Man stuff, let alone, like, characters that aren't main characters from She-Ra. So Shadow Weaver pops up, I'm like, immediately think, yeah, that's, that's, that's a bad guy. That's definitely a bad guy. There's yeah. no way it's not a bad guy. It's so 80s and telegraphed. Well, that's... that's but one, I love that. That's one of the nice things, is that they have taken a lot of the 80s stuff and they've just gone... Yeah, th- this is like silly and nonsense, but that's this is a kids' cartoon. You can enjoy silly nonsense stuff, and and one of the things, as you say, is it's quite hilarious because being brought up in the horde, Adora is sort of like she's the best fighter and everything else. Then they go off off of the horde lands to where they're fighting the rebels, and it's instantly like even in like the woods area. It's even though it's supposed to be like, oh, it's a bit spooky. It's still nicer looking than all of the horde places. There's there's no part of you that thinks like being brought up as a soldier in in this area would have in any way, shape or form been like a case of going, oh, this is actually quite nice. And they've got a horrible thing and we need to stop them. It's like, no, that looks better. That's that's obviously better. Surely we should be over there doing whatever that is. But... I will say as well for it, like that, that first opening, like zoom that it has on episode one, like the, just the the landscapes that like flash forward as you like zoom into like Adora's first scene, all of that just looked stellar. Like mm. that brought me into. I was like, I was literally like, eh, Shira, it's DreamWorks. I think mean, Voltron was okay. I like giant robots, and even I was like, eh, I'll, I didn't really watch after season one. It just wasn't down like for me. It didn't take like as many of the boxes I thought it would. But that opening sequence, there's just moments in there where I just saw other influences and things. I'm like, I love this art and I love this landscape and I want to know more about it. So I was willing to sit through. I mean, I think episode one is kind of a slow opener. Yeah. It's got its moments. Bo, for certain. (laughs) Bo made me think of that sort of like dumb but lovable character in the same way that you think of like Troy from Community. Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm 100% behind Bo. Like, you go for it, dude. Yeah. 
But the other thing that's nice about Boris is he's whilst he is like the lovable, like um, straightforward character, he is also a genius because he doesn't have magical powers like everyone else does. He has to build all his weapons, and he is a proper maker. And they have a whole episode about him being like or like trying out different types of arrow that he's had to have done, a la any number of bow-based <laughs> characters. So yeah, your green arrows and Hawkeye, Hawkeye, and everyone yeah. else. It's like yeah, let's face it. If your if your power is a bow. Essentially, you are going to be the guy who has to try and make bows interesting. Has he got a boxing glove arrow? Um, I don't. I think he might have at one point. Yeah. I don't think it really can be considered a proper bow or archery-based superhero of any sort until you've had the boxing glove arrow. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, because what you want to do is you want to take your, your weapon that kills people and you want to just sort of kill them but with a boxing <laughs> glove. Because if you shoot someone in the head with an arrow but just with a boxing glove on, it's probably still going to kill them. <laughs> I mean, it's not always just an, an, a boxing glove on an arrow. Sometimes it's a modified arrow to just be mostly boxing glove. So you can punch someone from a distance. I mean, it's the same reason people lock, like rocket fists in mecha anime. You want to be able to punch someone from across the room. And the, the, the boxing glove arrow does exactly that. There you go. Yeah. See, that, that's, that's why Brie isn't allowed in um, boxing tournaments anymore. Because uh, after the first round where he pulls out a bow and tries to shoot the person from across the ring, then, then the fight gets called off. I mean, it's usually over too because my aim is dead on. <laughs> oh, why do we keep letting him in again? <laughs> he hasn't learned a thing. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of the, the rest of the actual show, I would say it's the, the characters are great. The second season really ramps things up in terms of um, the, the whole Catra and Adora their relationship in, in mm. terms of like how much Catra is just wanting to get Adora to like recognize that she is better than her because Adora gets given this power and essentially she sees it as being given a power whereas Catra's having to work for everything. All the rest of the characters doing their different things are, are great. Um, there's a, a, a good storyline in terms of how they have to get everyone on board in terms of trying to get all the the rest of the princesses in, in together. And the rest of the princesses are also classic. There's one who is the other horse. It's, it's just princesses. The amount of times they mention it in that first episode as if they're like a horde of princesses. As if they're an in, in infestation. Like, princesses are the most dangerous things. Like, how many princesses can there possibly be? Oh, when you see the party, there's a lot of princesses. But you only really focus on a, like a core group who are like the rebel princesses. Because the rest of them apparently are just like far enough away from like the issues that they don't have to worry about it. Because they have a they have a ball, and the idea is is at the ball everyone is neutral. So even if you're a bad princess, you still get to turn up. Um, but one of the one of the princesses who's with the horde, um, I can't remember her name. I do apologise to anyone. Someone on Twitter can just com- like correct me. But she's basically she's uh, got uh, she's the lobster princess. She got like a crab crab hand. Um, and Crap she's people. <laughs> yeah, she she is she's great, but um, she she's a princess and she brings Catra as a pro- plus one, and it is hilarious the interplay because all Adora does in the ball is go around like stalking Catra, going like you're up to something. I know you're up to something. What are you doing? You're up to something. <laughs> and at the end of it, she was up to something. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that it's- was the thing I noticed watching Netflix. Me and Ashley have spent. Like the last two weeks between uh, recording and other stuff, watching Steven Universe. Yes. In the, just that one episode alone, I had to go check the voice cast. It wasn't the same person, but I almost thought, just based on like uh, personality type and the few scenes that Catra has, that it was the same person that does Amethyst oh, on okay. Steven Universe. Because I'm like, she's got 
episode one has got proper amethyst vibe going on it is i mean if you have watched any modern sort of cartoons you'll see characters who are very similar to yeah. other characters but also she's uh, catra's totally stolen scarlet which is a comic headdress <laughs> that's all i can see when i look at it that's a very scarlet witch headdress well again you'd like steal from the things you love so it is it is a case that all the all the characters do like as you were saying with Andorra. <laughs> Andorra's wearing Shah's Zeta Gundam outfit yeah. when he's parading around as Quattro Bajina. Yeah. Yeah. Like I kept looking at that's that's that outfit, I'm like, that's a that's a good looking outfit. Why why does that Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Andorra's cle- clearly part of Zeon. <laughs> <laughs> as much as you can be being a princess on a different planet. <laughs> Zeon have a princess. <laughs> well, yeah, they have a princess. <laughs> they don't have an infestation. No, they didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a it's a great show for having an ensemble cast, and you do get to like all the characters. Even the bad guys are, are good guys in terms of characterization. Um, yeah, I was going to start watching it based off of that episode alone. Let alone being told now that we're finally getting He Man and Kevin Smith's involved. I think the only problem I've ever had from what I've heard people talk about in terms of She-Ra especially like thinking back to his 80s roots is no one in pop culture ever references like a major villain from She-Ra. It doesn't feel like it's got very many, very many memorable villains. And I feel like if you ditched He-Man from He-Man and just put She-Ra up against Skeletor, I'd be happy because you need that level of 80s Saturday morning cartoon villain mm. to really tie the show together. And I don't know. I can't say for sure if that show ever gets that without having like, Skeletor in it. Cause I've only watched one episode but I think that's the only thing missing from everything I've ever heard about it. So I'm already into it. It just seems to be that one thing. Like It needs a good villain. It can't always be, you know, internal conflict and interpersonal problems. Like, I need maniacal laughter and someone that wants to destroy the world. The main villain is is a proper villain, but it is in that Slade from Teen Titans way, where it's no. like actually a proper villain, and that's a little bit darker. Maybe you should just step back. <laughs> actually, no, I'm okay with that. Step back a second for that, because it is that thing where you're like, there's... Everything on everyone else is having like, like a good fun time doing like <laughs> battling, but it not really like it's being more like a playful thing. Where he's like, "No, I'm, I'm I've got like shit I need to get done." And the rest he realizes that Slade from Teen Titans is Deathstroke, and he's already a toned down version of Deathstroke the Terminator. Yeah. So like that level of villain, yeah, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. If it was actual Deathstroke the Terminator level of villainy in Shira, that that'd be too dark. Yeah, although apparently the new the new He-Man that Kevin Smith's doing is supposed to be quite like a dark He-Man in terms of the way they're approaching it. So maybe Skeletor will fucking kill some people. <laughs> I mean, it's about time, right? Oh, I mean, he's going to kill Beastman. You failed me for the last time, Beastman. Nah, going <laughs> to cut you like a bitch. Oh, Skeletor. <laughs> Don't cut me, Skeletor. <laughs> like the bitch you are. <laughs> <laughs> I've just gone into the monarch from the Benjamin. <laughs> they have very similar voices. There's a reason for that. Yeah, uh, that's why they're like two of my favourite characters. Uh, in short, She-Ra, Princess is a Power. It's it's a good show. Animation's lovely. Storyline's very good. Voice acting's amazing. And it's got three seasons, which means Netflix is probably going to cancel it at some point soon. So It's very Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, very much We have so. Rebels. It's very sci-fi. I guess Doris technically a Jedi, sort of. I mean, if you're going to like complete the analogy, yeah, yeah. kind of falls over there. Yeah, I mean, the Je- Jedi didn't like become like transformed when and they picked up that. That's what they were missing, really. Yeah, they had like a if they had a transformation sequence every time. If the Jedi had a henshin. <laughs> Palpatine couldn't stop them, and all of their identities would have been secret. Yeah, 
also, like, whilst they were transforming, like, the Jedi's, then the Sith would have run away. But then someone would have told them the times were changing, old man, and they didn't need secret identities. Well, we're lapsing into the wrong show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Reference joke. <laughs> that was just for James. <laughs> to prove we watched it. There we go. Uh... I mean, I'm already, you know what I'm like, I'll consume media like no one else does. It's it's a curse. <laughs> but the she has definitely jumped way further up in my list of, of to watch. Uh, pretty much just below Gundam, really. <laughs> like, that's that's my current obsession, but she has definitely up there, more so than any other show. that like I've been recommending a lot of shows recently, and I want to see, what, I mean, at least season one. And I won't commit to the full three season run yet. By the time you get to the end of season yeah. one, you'll be wanting season two. We'll see how that pans out, but you've got a, you've got a season out of me at the very least. Yeah, Wait, the way it ends, you'll want season two. It does it does do that thing where it ends in a, in a quite satisfactory way. You're like, oh, where's this going? Yeah, <laughs> it's nice. Does season three end on a cliffhanger? Uh, I don't know. I haven't actually got around to watching season three. Yeah, I've got through the first two seasons, and then the last season came out like about a month ago. Yeah, I'm like, I need to watch that at some point, but I just haven't had a good. Hey, of course, to. it's Netflix, so you do the whole binge thing. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, speaking of shows that are kind of a little bit like Star Wars, I recommended the show to you and James. I don't know if James ever got around to watching it because James didn't like to read anything, but I know that you did. Yes, and I recommended Gundam Double O. I like to call it Gundam the Digimon Chronicles. <laughs> See, I recommended this show out of all of the 40 plus years now of Gundam like series that you could pick up because the Universal Century, which is Gundam, Gundam Zeta, Gundam Double Zeta, Shah's Counterattack, and onwards all the way up until the Gundam narrative that just came out, and all of its many side stories like War in the Pocket and Thunderbolt and stuff, that's a heavy, heavy bit to get into. And Gundam original is old now. <laughs> like, I don't recommend anybody ever watch the 50-episode anime. I always recommend the three compilation movies. And even those, especially if you watch the dub, whew, like, it's a lot of effort to get to my favorite show, which is Gundam Zeta. But you can't, I uh, wouldn't always recommend Gundam Zeta because you don't have the knowledge of what happened in Gundam. You see the problem here. Yes. So Gundam does this great thing with alternate universes that have no bearing on Universal Century whatsoever. The first two of those were back in the 90s, when we got Mobile Fighter G Gundam, which is just Dragon Ball meets Gundam. Yay! And Gundam Wing, which is the one that broke the West, and everyone I know that's ever seen Gundam or knows about Gundam usually thinks of that one first because of Toonami. Yes. Those are old now. <laughs> Not yes. really great for recommending. I've watched some episodes of Gundam Wing recently. It's aged. <laughs> and the more recent ones, like Iron, Bl- Iron Blooded Orphans, is really good for one season, and I haven't watched season two yet, but from everything I've heard, season two ends fairly pathetically, which is a shame, because season one is very Game of Thrones, but the robots. So, you know, give or take, maybe watch Iron Blood Dolphins. But Gundam De Blow is my favourite alternate universe storyline for Gundam, because it does all the things that Gundam Wing does, but does them better, and actually less silly. 
overall, <laughs> relatively. I was going to say, there's going to yeah. have to be some caveats there, right? Yeah, because Gunnam Double O has some fairly silly moments in it. Giant gun time! <laughs> <laughs> now, I watched uh, both the Japanese and the dub for Gunnam Double O, because I'm on my fifth rewatch doing the dub again right now. And I think dub is one of those dubs that you can hold up in anime and go like, look, dubs are good. They got good at one point, and they continued being good. And Double O definitely fits the bill for being good. So I'd recommend anyone that doesn't want to read subtitles goes for the dub. That's what I've been doing because I've been playing phone games like <laughs> Gundam Battle Gunpla Warfare on my phone while watching slash listening to Gundam Double O. <laughs> so I threw episode one at you and just wanted to see what your thoughts were going to be on it. And you tweeted some absolute corkers of moments from that shit, that first episode. Um, so, my, as, as Briggy says, uh, my experience of Gundam previous to this was um, some random episodes that I saw when I was really young, just out of like the blue at different places. And then there was the Toonami one, which was really, really depressingly like serious, like macabrely so, where everything was sort of like, oh man, this is depressing. Isn't war bad? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it is. Fair point. Cool. We'll move on. Um, but also, Gundam Wing has a robot that's silhouette is the Grim Reaper. Yeah. With a beam scythe. Yeah. <laughs> one that's just cannons. <laughs> which is not uncool, but it was very 90s. Yeah. Whereas Double O is not friendly design, but it is sort of almost Saturday morning. Saturday morning, morning Gundam in that you can watch it. And at no point was I like, in the beginning, they do like, they do that horrible Gundam thing where they're like, war is bad. Let's kill some kids so that you know war is bad. It's like, yeah, again, we know it's bad. But they do it in a way where it's like, those kids are dead. But at the same time, you can show it like on Saturday mornings because they, they like proper G.I. Joe style died where they were just like, they were there and then they were just lying down. And it's like, you didn't actually see them get shot. <laughs> I think you can maybe get away with the Saturday morning thing for like half a season. Yeah. Before you start getting some moments that are. Not just implied horrible, but like explicitly pointed out horrible moments in that show. Yeah, that's Gundam for you. That's well, war is hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Gundam Double O is a show that I mean, I don't know how many other people listening to the show don't want to listen to it anymore. That, that knows what Gundam Double O is, but the the basic theme like of the, the synopsis of Gundam Double O, where it differs from UC Double O, is um, UC Double O is all about like humanity being out in space and war between space and Earth. And, it, and then political intrigue and very Star Trek-esque storylines mixed with very Star Wars-esque moments where new types are a thing that are kind of like Jedi and robots and, and uh, love conquers all moments that got... I mean, there's a term new type bullshit that <laughs> the kind of community knows. A narrative, the most recent movie, is very much new type bullshit. It's like, space magic! <laughs> Ignore the robots! So Gundam 00 is a little, a little more grounded. <laughs> I mean, let's not forget, there are giant robots here. Um, and people that are, can communicate with AI, like, in their brain, so... Oh, yeah, and, like, in, in the first five minutes, there is a full-on Neon Genesis. Oh, check it out, it's a robot, it's got wings, magical light wings, check out the light wings! And you're like, okay! Mmm, symbolism. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Good job James is not here because I can say this symbolism in Double O is done significantly better than Evan Kelly could ever hope to have portrayed symbolism. Well, I mean they have got Patrick, so <laughs> they have got Patrick. Patrick Colasauer. Ah, <laughs> oh, one of the best minor characters of any Gundam show. I love Patrick. He, he will. The... He will never win a fight, he, he but is... he'll never stop trying. Well, he he is the uh, Team Rocket of. Yeah, he is. 
<laughs> of this show. He's a lovable idiot. Which is, is ironic because the actual Gundam themselves, for the actual plot itself, so the, it, there is, it's on Earth, as you say. Tell me what you thought the plot was. Yeah, so it's on Earth. <laughs> Um, and Earth, it's very like futuristic. There's it's the year twenty three oh eight, I think it was, or around that time. Yeah, and they've got things in space. Um, but the main point of it was is there's like uh, a set of um, quite, I wouldn't say fragile, but uh, tentative, like not truce, but a setup where certain people have certain militaristic sort of um, things that they're allowed to do and they're not. Um, yeah, so the three main blocks politically of Earth, the, the three main superpowers are all centred around the fact that we have three orbital elevators to get things in space now. So they spend an awful lot of time in that first episode. I say awful lot, it's maybe a minute of a 24-minute episode explaining like the geopolitical yeah. outlook on Earth at this point in time. Because that's very important going forward. You don't care in episode one. You will very much care by the end of season one because it's very important to all the characters. That's how Gundam works. Yeah. It is that sort of Japanese like tactical RPG thing where you are like, Oh, so you, you want to play the gameplay, huh? Well, you better care about these nations as well, because these will help you make your decisions on your units. Because um. you will care about the interpersonal relationships of members from all three of those blocks and the non-affiliated with any block celestial being, Yeah, which is the organization that Gundam's a part of. Yeah, and that was what I was going to say is the irony is, is they're essentially like Team Rocket in that they're an idealized, like self-imposed force on Earth who are going to unite the nations in well, devastation. <laughs> that is the plot of season one. Celestial Being is an organization created by the long-deceased Aelia Schenberg, who set this... I mean, this is this very death note with, like, it's all according to plan, but then nothing goes according to plan. That's the whole point of this. Where Celestial Being as an organization is meant to intervene in conflicts, in, in armed interventions, to stop all conflict across the world. Thus pretty much turning every government on Earth against them. Yep. Which they succeed at very quickly. Yeah, at the end of the episode one, it's literally everyone just saying, you're going to stop violence with violence. That's just stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that pretty much is. But our violence is like a lot better than your violence is at the, begin- at the beginning of it. The whole of episode one is set up. Like they have these three stages that they have to do for this mission. And it is sort of like, we're going to go in and we're basically going to show we're better than everyone else in terms of our tech um so the way that's done is is the first part is is gundam um comes down and what's the actual main gundam pilot's name uh so they're oh that's okay so i I like this motif that they've got going on because the four gundam meisters uh of celestial being again celestial being is a name uh we have um setsuna fsa which is um i forget which middle eastern like language it is, but it was translated from like one language into Japanese, and then the name essentially means uh, a moment from eternity. Uh, you have Lockon Stratos, which is, I mean, self explanatory. Is that the sniper? That's the sniper. That's the sniper. The man like who can the snipe through the stratosphere. Yeah. Uh, you have Hallelujah Haptism, so another that sort of religious subtext with his name, and Tieria Erde, whose name is two words from different languages that just mean Earth and. Uh, Angel, I think. Or Earth and, like, something ephemeral. Yeah. Like, weird words. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's the Gundam Meisters, so they're, but they're all code names, which is why um, TV tropes lets them get away with it for being named, you know, badass names that no one would ever name their child because they're not their real names. Uh, yeah, they're all, they're all code names. 
Well, I, I, I've instantly forgotten most of those names just because yeah. they're far too long. But the first guy, <laughs> I will name Setsuna. First, I know he's the first lot, one. Yeah, Setsuna. Um, he comes down basically. The, what's happening is um, they are doing a test of. I want to call them the UEA, but that's not that. Cause that's AEU. AEU, which is literally the United Emirates <laughs> just switched. So not subtle, but um, they're doing a test of one of their robots. And they're doing that thing where they're doing like, a, oh, he's doing like a test scenario. So he's mm. shooting some inflatables and there's some guns. And he's he's never lost a mock battle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're 200 mock battles. Got a little Patrick Corliss out. Yeah. So Patrick's doing the, the test set up for all the people there. And you have that thing where you have a crowd of people and you can tell they're a crowd because they're all just white men in their like, 40s with business suits. <laughs> and then you have two guys who have amazing hair. One has an amazing ponytail and the other one just has amazing blonde hair. I want to point out in a very Gundam way that their names are some of the best names because Gundam tries to be very global, but then still injects Japanese stuff probably where it doesn't belong sometimes. Or at least the, the intention, I guess, is that like people have, you know... The Earth's more global, so like these sort of names get passed around where you wouldn't normally expect them. Because you have Graham Aker, who is the one that you're probably going to talk about by taking the binoculars. That's fine. Then his friend is named Billy Katagiri. Nice. Which, again, is just like a very, very like Western first name and a very Japanese surname. But he does have a kick-ass ponytail, so... He does have a kick-ass, kick-ass ponytail. <laughs> yeah. He's he's one of the engineers, and they're talking about how like this suit is like a... A really great suit, and all this money's been poured into it and just tech and stuff. And uh, they're all watching the demonstration. And then after the demonstration, down comes the actual Gundam with Setsuna. And, and it's that thing where he, he stands next to the other robot. And Patrick, who is his easily my favorite character in the entire <laughs> first episode, Patrick, who is the other pilot, basically takes a front to being shown up by having this suit come through. Um, decides to chat in the gym to a, to a fight and then promptly gets his, 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 as I said on Twitter, his shit kicked in. It is a case of, <laughs> he, he he goes for a, a, a barrage of, it's almost like when the, uh, in Monty Python, when the Black Knight fights <laughs> and he's just slowly <laughs> losing things. It's like, no, it's a pleasure and I can keep fighting until the point where he's literally on his back and he's like had all his limbs like removed. You'd very much enjoy a moment in season two where... Because there's a time jump between season one and two of four years. So you get to see, like, stuff happens in season one, then four years happen, and there's like, oh, everything has changed on the, on Earth. But has it really? And then we get our season two stuff. And Patrick joins, against someone else's will, one of the military organizations that plan to fight the Gundams. And they say, if you fight the Gundams, Patrick, you will die. He's like, you're forgetting, I fought them seven times. <laughs> it's like... It's a miracle you're alive, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically, the numbers are on his side. He's number yeah. one, but he has four. <laughs> he survived seven times, usually by happenstance. Well, the, the, again, this first battle is literally just a, a showing off of of how they are. So um, once once Patrick's had his ass handed to him, oh, when they do it, when they introduce the Gundam, which was one of my favorite bits, is <laughs> they do a, like a quick like over shot of like a the Gundam and then they do that thing where they pan across his forehead and on his forehead it's just written Gundam, Gundam. and you're like oh that's, that's like obviously helpful for people who are trying to read it and then um, Patrick uh, not Patrick what was his name uh, Graham 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 <laughs> goes excuse me to one of the random businessmen and grabs the binoculars from around his head rips them off his head and the guy is just like visibly like what what's going on he went 
said excuse <laughs> like that excuses him it's like yeah that's a pretty dick move but <laughs> yeah graham is um a particularly important character in gundam double o because he follows um there is a trope on tv trope specific to the gundam franchise and that is something called a shah clone <laughs> so shah Aznable is the main rival not bad guy until he is but he isn't always of the original gundam franchise which is why every time they make an alternate universe, they can't not make Shaw. <laughs> they, like, he has to be in the show, even if it's not Shaw, but he always follows the same rules, and Graham Aker is our Shaw clone of the series. So he's important, but also definitely has, you know, that charisma that Shaw had. Or at least he's funny. Yeah. But then he's also really weird. But <laughs> weird funny going forward. Well, that, that's one of, the th- one of the, the vibes I got from pretty much every character is that classic Gundam thing of it's like, Oh, we're all doing stuff because we're really hurting inside. And you're like, grand. We've got, we got that just from the first episode, even where you were just doing cool stuff. But yeah, because every, that's the other thing is all the Gundams are doing like these super cool things. And all the pilots just look like they're pissed off to be there because it's like, ugh, we have to stop these people. And that's our duty. And I don't even enjoy being in this giant robot at all. They all have. Maybe apart from Tiaria, but that becomes a bit of a weird thing later on. But all all three of the Gundam Meisters have really great like character motivations for why they're doing what they're doing, which is again part of the storyline as to why they were like recruited by Celestial Being to pilot a Gundam in the first place. So that's well done. The entire crew of the Ptolemy, the spaceship from Gundam, is that in episode one? Yeah. Yeah, it's a cool looking spaceship too. Like all of those characters have great backstories and motivations for doing what they do in the first place. And I think that's one of the things I like about Gundam 00 versus other alternate universe versions of Gundam, like Wing, for example, is that it does what it does the best. Hmm. Like, it doesn't have any... I mean, I think people online would argue with me, because like, it's kind of... It's, it's not as controversial as like other franchises. Like, everyone knows that Batman vs. Superman is a bad movie. Even fans of Batman vs. Superman, like... Gundam fans are just as bad when it comes to things that aren't Universal Century. But I think it's one of the best representations of, of doing the, the kind of storyline that it's trying to do uh, without end up being ridiculous. Hmm. Gundam Wing does the exact same thing that Gundam 00 tried to do. Now, the, the, the Gundam 00 does. It tried to do in the 90s. And in the 90s, it worked because it was the 90s. Yeah. If you go back and watch it, it's aged terribly. And like, it's just... It, it's not serious in the slightest. Like the stuff that Hero does in Wing versus what Setsuna does in Double O, they're essentially the same character, but Hero comes off as far more cartoonish. Yeah, because it's '90s Hero, whereas Setsuna is very more, much more like that same character archetype, but way more modern and believable to a point. So, like that, I think works out better for Gundam Double O. And despite the fact that Double O came out in 2007, so that's still not like a modern Gundam at this point, yeah. but it's, it's it's got a good like 20 years on no it's got a good 10 years on 2007 was it oh god yeah yes it's only like 10 12 years removed from wing yeah oh i didn't realize it they tried to do it again that soon but they did it way better in double o <laughs> like double o as a franchise as a as a like a two season and a movie storyline has really dark moments in it like really heart-wrenching moments too especially revolving around two characters which don't seem important at all until you get way into like end of season one start of season two they become like oh wow actually everything that's been going on with these two actually you know, needed to happen yeah uh, I don't know if I've given away who that was just based on saying it but um, like those moments are like absolutely heart-wrenching like add into the whole war as hell but the reason I always recommend Gundam Double O over something like Wing or 
wading into the the mess that is the Universal Century is that when you finally finish that movie, the whole arc of Gundam Double O goes from like being really depressing and war is hell to being really hopeful with its overall message. It is like not I mean not to spoil it too much because it can go one or two ways when you think of the overarching big picture either. Alia Schenberg's plan of removing war and there being peace either goes well or doesn't. Yeah. And for a long time, it doesn't. But by the time you get to the end of the movie, it ends on that message of like, oh, it all worked out because they're done with it at that point and they can end it nicely. And it makes sense. It doesn't feel like a cop-out. So that, that, that whole journey through that universe is way more satisfying than watching all of Wing <laughs> or, or watching Iron Blooded Orphans or... Any of the other like alternate universe Gundam stuff. I mean, Universal Century still isn't fucking over because they keep making new stuff in that. Like we've gone, we've never had a century's worth of Universal <laughs> Century, so it has its highs and its lows. But Double O taken as a block and gone. Fifty episodes in the movie, and then you can say you've watched an entire Gundam, and if you liked it, you can then go watch other Gundams. If you didn't like it, but they go, you've ticked off Gundam off of your like holy grail of all things anime to get through. <laughs> Because let's face it, it's definitely shorter than watching One Piece or Dragon Ball Z or Naruto. Because it's not four hundred to eight hundred to a thousand and something episodes. Yeah, but if you want to watch Naruto, just watch Boruto. It's the same thing. I've heard it's, I've heard, but I've heard it's both better and not as good. That's the same thing. Yeah, although I don't, I didn't watch much of Naruto past like episode six. Yeah, it's uh, it's more satisfying than watching Bleach. Because oh. it ends, and it ends satisfyingly. Oh, don't bring up Bleach. Oh. And I've got to say, like, I am... I mean, you've, uh, Paul has seen my collection of Gundam merchandise, mostly Gunpla model kits. Like, the the style I go for, I'm very much a big fan of the Universal Century, because they're, they're, they're way more um, militaristic, as if they're actually, like, you know, machines of war and tanks with legs, that sort of thing. Until you get to, like, Unicorn or something, it gets a bit more fucking uh, new-type bullshit. But Double O's got very sleek mobile suit designs, yeah. and it's it's got it's it's got its own thing going on. There is a hilarious bit where the Gundam um, is uh, being like if it's fighting a bunch of jet planes, and it, one of them's got a lock on on it, and it, it just moves out of the way, and one of them <laughs> pilots goes, "It's so mobile," and you're like. Yeah, that's the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's in the name. Yeah. It's, it's a mobile suit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, it is in terms of an opening episode, it is a good one where it's got enough intrigue where it is, oh, who are these characters and what are they doing? There is a whole section on the space um, station, which is just hilarious just because of how cheesy and nonsense it is. It is. <laughs> it's, it's almost like something out of Futurama or something. The way they're all just sort of like soireeing around with like nonsense <laughs> drinks and stuff. There's an amazing bit where um, there's a there's an incident and they, there's some people have to move out the way. And and literally, <laughs> as I was tweeting, it was like, oh, it's just like. Uh, uh, the the exit is down sort of thing yeah. and as soon as I'd said that all of these soldiers just went to this big hole in the floor and I was like oh the gate was wrong? down <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but it is hilarious because as I say there is if you haven't watched any Gundam there is a it is a quite friendly opening to Gundam it's it's not like the Whilst it is like, oh, there is some dark elements at the beginning, it is soft dark. And as you say, you might get darker in the yeah. rest of the series for an opening episode. Yeah. You can just go, oh, yeah, they've got some giant robots. At one point, there is a bit where one of them has a stupidly large cannon. Um, 
Ah, yes, the Virtue Gundam. Yes. Mm. <laughs> that that was that was when I first saw that when I watched it in 2007 and I was like that's a, that's an interesting design. It's replacement in see cuz obviously partly merchandising, partly storyline. Uh there's a second set of Gundam designs for the second season and then a third set for the movie. But they're all <laughs> still color coordinated and they're still, you know, piloted by like the same Gundam masters. So, uh yeah, Tyria Erde's Gundam Virtue just gets weirder <laughs> in season two. So, yeah, that's a fun one, that one. The other ones make slightly more sense. Yeah, and and, and that's, in terms of the design, it is, and again, I know you're saying they're like the tanks, they're weapons of war, yeah. but in this it is a bit more sort of like super suit-y sort of. None, none of them... The Gundams particularly, yeah. yeah. In that first season, the, the mobile suits that belong to the other... Like the Earth factions, I and mean, they're all very like cool in that they've designed three separate sets of mobile suits for three separate like super nations, but they're all very utilitarian in that first season. Yeah, yeah. Compared to compared to the sleek, shiny Gundam Exia that shows up at the start with its big old GN sword attached to it, because that's that, that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I did. I did like one of the. I know that they were like. You're supposed to be empathising with the, the child character at the beginning of the show, but they did that thing where they had the proper old school style mechs. And I was like, I like those sort of mechs. Yeah, the, the mech warrior mechs where they basically literally they, they, tanks with legs. <laughs> and are more of those not in episode one? Um, not because they're still used by the nation that they belong to. Yeah, so they they show up quite a lot in season one. Yeah, because because they they literally they, they they turn up at the beginning and then they all get wiped out pretty much at the beginning yeah. straight away. But because um, the other ones, the Tautzi, which is also kind of utilitarian, and then the AEU have the flags, yes, which not a great design in my opinion. But the name <laughs> it took a while to get used. To that. I'm like, yeah, the flags. <laughs> they're the, the ones that are sort of like the knockoff gun, them the green ones, or that not. No, they're the, they're the ones that like transform into the like flying mode. Oh yeah, no, yeah, the ones that are like the jet things. Yeah, 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 the ones because they're obviously building the next generation or their next generation. At the moment, but yeah, they don't still... know about solar furnaces, yeah, and GN drives, yeah, because that's that's the other thing that's quite hilarious is it's like, oh, what what is his energy source that he's using? Because there's a hilarious line where Graham basically goes, oh yeah, these ones they were solar powers, so they're really green in terms of killing machines. And it's like, <laughs> I don't think that's really a concern for most like governments. I don't know, think most of them are going, well, we want to blow the shit out of people, but we want to make sure we're doing no harm to the planet while we're doing it. <laughs> I mean, that becomes a little bit of a plot point later on with the uh, imitation GN drives that happen later on the show that cause radiation poisoning. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Nice. Yeah, so, <laughs> war as hell. <laughs> and also powering, like, mobile suits is, like, a dangerous thing to do in the first place. But, um, yeah, because well, yeah. Yeah, in terms, they have these, they have a terrorist attack on the space station and the terrorists don't survive very long at all. Because that no. they basically are trying to get through a force field, and and the thing with force fields is, is if you're in space and you're in a vehicle and it hits the force field, you're in space, so you're gonna die. There's not really any two <laughs> ways about it because when you're in space, if you get a hole in your, your space vehicle, you're gonna die because that's how <laughs> space works. The whole point of space is trying not to get holes in things. So, um, Saji and Louise are in episode one, right? Which ones are they? The Japanese kid that's studying and his blonde-haired girlfriend. 
Ooh. Saji is Setsuna's next door neighbor, but I'm not sure if that's revealed until episode two when Setsuna goes home. They are the they are at the end because they're all in the high school bit, just looking ah, at yes. stuff. Yes, going like who who on earth would do this sort of stuff? And it's like, well, obviously, it's one of them's going to be your mate because he's a high school aged guy. No, <laughs> oh, they're not friends. No, but like they're super not friends. <laughs> super not friends. We're the War best. as hell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it is. There are things that I can like imply from from just tropes in general about these sort of shows, but at the same time, it is done really, like, accessible. And there's a reason why people use tropes, it's because, yeah. like, slice-of-life stuff is, is important, because then you can have some downtime in between. Oh, you should see the TV tropes breakdown for all four of the Gundam Meisters, because it's amazing. <laughs> like, seasons one and then seasons two, you get different breakdowns, especially because they do the whole breakdown RPG style, where it's, like, <laughs> character archetypes. are like, oh, yeah, Setsu definitely does have this change in season two. And he's still hitting, like, ticking a bunch of tropes. <laughs> like, and Setsu is still one of the best characters. Well, that's the thing. is why, why, why worry about having, the, like, right characters when you could just literally go for a grab bag and go, yeah, that, that pretty much sums up, like, this genre of people. That'll do. <laughs> it was one of those things I've not seen before on TV tropes, where, the, like, whoever's edited this pages has explained the trope that Setsuna or any of the Gundam Meisters is part of and then explain what that trope is because of what happens in the show, and then put underneath it, and it's entirely justified. <laughs> it's, like, it's it's tropes, but they're well written tropes. <laughs> yeah, like the Setsuna's backstory is heartbreaking, but it's not any more or less heartbreaking than any of the other Gundam Meisters because they've also been done and been part of some absolutely horrible shit. Some of it close to real life politics shit. That's the one thing that I'm disappointed about, but I understand in terms of the dub and the choice choice of like voice actor and accent not for Setsuna for um Lockon. Okay. Yes, cuz Lockon's Irish. Yeah. But he's not done with a voice Irish voice actor. Uh... He doesn't have an Irish accent. Yeah, like he's his backstory involves like the real IRA and stuff. So they very I mean his name's Neil Delandy. Like it, <laughs> it needs it, like it should have been more telegraphed that he had an Irish accent, but he's very American in the dub. Yeah. Like most of them are very American in the dub, but that's what happens when you dub in America, yeah. Yeah, or Canada. <laughs> like, it just happens that way. I think the only character we didn't mention that you tweeted about that I thought was funny was we didn't talk about um, Sumeragi Lee Noriega. Oh, or, is that Chung Lee? No, that is a sassy, drunk, alcoholic, tactical yes. advisor. <laughs> yeah, that was un- uh, not in any way, shape, or form similar to another show we might have watched <laughs> in preparation for this episode. They had the, the, the female lead who who is in charge of actual logistics of things, who happens to be like, ah, but I'm confident enough in the rest of you that I'm just going to have a little bit of a drink now (laughs) because I've got problems and they can only be solved with dulling my emotions. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. There is a lot of, unfortunately, and this this is an anime in general, there are a lot of unfortunate things where it's like, yeah, being a woman in Japan must suck. So a good way of being able to just like numb all that pain, just get like level of wasted, which means that you can just deal with all this shit. It's like, because at some point, like they they do like fight people and they do kill people and mm. they are, it's not like in the olden days where you used to then just get cut to shots of parachutes and people just <laughs> like, oh no, they were fine. No, they, they are like exploding and people die. Yeah. I mean, they're all like painted or they're all like, framed as being bad guys or at least enemy combatants but considering that oh you get much more morally gray in this show as you go as with most Gundam shows yeah 
apart from G Fighter, like that was very shonen, hot blooded, super robot, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z esque. But like almost every other Gundam, if it's doing it right, will explain multiple sides of the conflicts to you, give you characters on every side of the conflict that you like and can understand and like relate to. And then had them all fighting, like, no, they should all be friends. <laughs> but that's not how life works. Yeah, exactly. Especially the subplot that flows throughout both seasons regarding Saji and Louise and them being, like, civilian bystanders and how they react to everything going on. That's just, oh, oh, man, <laughs> that's a story. You could just do a supercut of, like, them with, like, just little gaps being filled, like, and Celestial being did this, and then play the Saji and, like, Louise stuff. And, like, that's a whole nasty storyline going on there, but it's told so well. Yeah, and it like that's kind of what fits like why Gundam is great in so many when it's when it's done right. Like so many times it's not done right. Like <laughs> there's almost as many like bad Gundam shows as there are great Gundam shows, but this one like definitely like hits those points. Right, like, you want a story that's going to deal with war and deal with it semi realistically, despite the fact there's giant robots and new type bullshit. Like you'll still get that underlying storyline. Double O does it not the best but pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Like, it's never going to be the 8th MS team, but that's like, that's literally just the Vietnam conflict told with giant robots. They yeah. they made that. <laughs> it's a good show, but it's a bit old. Whereas Double O, like, this is, this is relatively well done, like, geopolitical conflict, and then characters you care about, and there's nothing you can, like, any of them can really stop them from killing each other. Yeah, and, and that is one of the things that I, when I first started watching the episode and they cut to the intro, and the intro is a little bit like the, the opening title bit. And it is that bit where you're like, yeah, this is the kind of song which basically says new wave, American-esque, sort of emo-esque, sort of, <laughs> oh yeah, there's a lot of feelings and you've got to deal with these feelings because these feelings, are the, the complex feelings and, and, and oh, we're going to feel some stuff now. <laughs> you know what, James, this is on you. You should have been here on this episode of the podcast. You have this exact moment of discussion because now you don't get to, to, to wax lyrical about how much you love Lark NCL, who is the artist who does the first <laughs> the first OP for Gundam Double yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good opening. It's just it's that thing where it's, it's not like... the best opening of Double O, though. No, well, I don't know that, but... No, um, mine, yeah. <laughs> eventually. Yeah, I, I can see where they've gone with this, and it's, it's very... When you say it's from 2007, it's very 2007. It's that mm. thing where it is, like... <laughs> it definitely hasn't aged as poorly as some of the other stuff. Oh, no, I mean, in, in terms of, like, the rest of the show, as I say, yeah. it's, it's, like, a, it's perfectly watchable in terms of, like, the quality animation is still, like, as good as, as many animations still coming out now. Oh, damn, the Blu-ray's good. Yeah. Well, the the thing about, if anyone, like, goes and looks for it, and I know that people are bound to go out and find, like, you know, slightly low-quality streams from less-than-legit sources, but if you can find it, however, I don't care how you find it, but if you can find it, always, if possible, go for, like, the Blu-ray copy or at least try and find something 1080p because those gn particle effects are so good mm. in those quality copies anything to do with gn particle effects and that they rendered really nicely cool but yeah i would definitely recommend if you're if you're looking for something and giant robot and war is hell based and and you do want to see patrick get his shit kicked in repeatedly oh uh, it's so worth it it's a great payoff for that man <laughs> like if you suffer through those two seasons and dealing with Patrick and his never winning oh that movie will deliver in spades <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't win though <laughs> but he gets his moment yeah but he doesn't win but he doesn't win <laughs> no because <laughs> he's not a gun <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> you know that's the other thing is is I'm going, I'm going, before you before we leave and finish on this podcast like after the podcast is over I'm playing you a clip of the English dub of Patrick just so you can compare it to your uh, the yeah. Japanese one just see which one you prefer. <laughs> it is a show that it does like as you said the dub is is, is supposed to be dub is fantastic yeah like it's it, especially like 2007 like what else was happening at the time in anime because that's when I think we start to actually get like good good dubs I think it'll start with like Ghost in the Shell standalone complex like one of the first really good dubs mm. and I think around that time well before that time but then we started getting Brotherhood shortly after but like FMA happened and FMA definitely ranks up they were like the good dubs yeah so we started going from that era of like dubs were hit or miss at best to like we're actually getting good dubs now so like double O falls in there Wing does not is not a good dub. The only reason I like the dub of Wing is because one nostalgia and two because of weird censorship. Like there's versions of that where Hero and the other Gundam pilots will say, "I'll destroy you," but not "I'll kill you" because it was on Toonami, <laughs> so we couldn't be explicit about we're just going to destroy you. You can figure out what that means. Destroy you to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so that was that was not a great dub. Although, it, like both this show and Wing have one of my favorite voice actors in there, which is Scott McNeil, mm. who plays Duo Maxwell, actual Gundam pilot in in that one, and plays uh, Ali Al Sanchez, who's one of the main bad guys, but also like sixty other people in this show that are unnamed parts. Yeah, like sometimes I feel like it's Scott McNeil talking to Scott McNeil on this show. <laughs> And only because I've like listened to him in so many roles, and like, because Max got me that poster of him that he signed of being Waspinator and stuff. Like, I followed like a lot of Scott Neal stuff to the point where he's got a very distinct voice. And like, yeah, it's, it's Scott Neal. And like, every, like when you say like, you know, when the voice is that gruff that the mustache will be, yeah, amazing. Like, Scott Neal. <laughs> <laughs> is that character named? No, mm, sounds like Scott Neal. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you know. <laughs> yeah. So the dub is pretty good for this, but it's because it's full of like. Good people. Mm. I think a good shout out is like um, uh, Tabitha St. Germain plays Soma Perez. And like, that's just a great like like dub for that character compared to like what it could have been. Mm. I don't know if Soma's in episode one. Uh, long white hair. Don't remember. All right. Yeah, she might be in episode two. Wait, did you, did you, did you see Sergei in episode one? Sergei Smirnov, the the. He's got the scar on the face, the old colonel. Ooh, he might have briefly been in the, the end bit where they cut, where they literally cut, start, like jump cut between all the different people reacting to the video. Okay, because you, if you ever do another dirt cast where you bring up the issue of best dad in anime <laughs> or worst dad in anime, Sergei falls into both categories simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> he's a great character, but he's also not the best character. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a lot of, lot of Gundam characters in general. <laughs> like they're either the best kind of person while simultaneously being the worst kind of person. Yeah, because that... people are complicated. <laughs> exactly, and war is hell. And war is hell. Yeah, and friendship is power. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, that's a different show. Um... Think about it as magic. <laughs> that's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> Honor is power. Yeah. Honor is magic. Yeah. Grayskull is magic. <laughs> By the power of Grayskull. By the power of Gundam. <laughs> By the honor of Gundam. I have the Gundam. <laughs> Patrick. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so yeah, um, if you want to watch uh, a Gundam, I recommend Gundam 00. If you just want to do 50 episodes in the movie, that's what I've been trying to sell Paul on. Um, if you really want to go insane, uh, you can try doing Universal Century from the beginning. 
which changes goalposts constantly because now he's going to the origin, which is a seven, six episode OVA series of six hours that goes from UC year 68 through to UC 79, which is when Gundam begins. So there's six hours of content, then a 50 episode TV show followed by another 50 episode TV show followed by another 50 episode TV show followed by a movie. Okay. Followed by a seven episode OVA followed by a movie. Okay. I tell you what, if we ever get to the point <laughs> where we get enough listeners to this podcast where we can earn a living off of it, yeah. we'll go through it all. But that's not going to happen. No. <laughs> so. so, if you want to do UC, it's mad. If you want some giant robots, go watch Gundam 00. If you really like Dragon Ball Z and robots, see if you can survive a couple of episodes of G Fighter Gundam and then watch the rest of that, because that's kind of what that is. Yeah. But at that point, I just say go watch Gurren Lagan instead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 00 is a pretty good entry into the Gundam franchise. And, and if you like that, there's like a thousand and one. Uh, websites with quizzes online that will tell you, based on what you liked, where you should start in other Gundams. Because <laughs> there's that many of them at this point. But yeah, that's it's, it's a good entry point, And hopefully I've sold a few people on like watching all of it. There you go. Well, I'm, I'm certainly going to check out at least a couple more show episodes. If I get to the point where it's just too bleak, I will just give up and go back to watching more like light-hearted affairs. Like... I, mean, I, we, we, I don't, I don't want to extend the episode too much longer, but I think it's worth pointing out that one of the reasons I like Gundam 00, and I have sold it very much on the idea of, like, war is hell, and it's very realistic to get that through. Gundam 00 is fucking hype. <laughs> like, those mobile suit designs, and then the direction for the fight scenes, like, when you get into the shit of it, and, you, you know, you can't resolve it through, like, you know, dealing with any more of the political, like, downsides of things, or being diplomatic, like, they fuck shit up, <laughs> and it's cool as fuck. Like, they have some of the... If you don't care about, like, the storyline, at least go on YouTube and, like, look at the supercut of fucking, like, action moments from Gundam Double O, because it's baller. <laughs> I'm not sure if, like, enough of that comes from, like, just the animation, but, like, the way that the storyline runs through, like, when shit happens and goes down, like... Oh, it's hype. So, war is hell, but also sometimes it's baller. <laughs> I mean, they gotta sell plastic model kits to someone, right? And you don't just buy plastic model kits if all they do is, like, try and, like, resolve war peacefully or just do a one or two things. Like, they do some fucking cool shit. Gundam. <laughs> it's, it's a tale of two halves of giant robots. <laughs> I'm sure if any, like, major Gundam fan listens to this, I'm gonna get ripped apart for so many things, but I tried to condense, like... Gundam 00, let alone the entire franchise, into about, what, 40 minutes at that? Yeah. Yeah. That's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my best attempt. Where, where is, is She-Ra's quite straightforward, the, the princesses, yeah. and they have powers. And and uh, Bo, Bo's awesome. Give them a giant robot. Maybe they will at some point. I mean, DreamWorks have got, like, experience. They made Voltron. I was going to say, crossovers. Yeah. There you go. Well, if I get through the end of season three in this giant robot, I will let you know. I mean, Steven Universe did it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to go back to your thing as well earlier. Like, uh, she wrote, like, Commander Glimmer <laughs> is my two favorite words right now put together because that, that had me actually rolling. So yeah. that's another thing that sold me on watching the rest of that show. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, that's a fairly lengthy discussion on, on both she and Gundam Double O. Yeah. So hopefully people will go watch one of those two, or both. Yeah, and and if you if you enjoy them, let us know. If you're expecting Tiger and Bunny, well... So are we. Yeah, so are we. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, next We're going to talk about Crystal Pepsi and everything. Oh. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it next week, but we probably won't. No. So we'll see you in a week's time with hopefully a full cast of the Geeks Codex who can actually rein me in from talking too much about Gundam. And... Um, 
We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Maybe James will talk about Transformers just to even it out. <laughs> More giant robots. Yeah. Giant robot podcast. Uh, yeah, so, Paul, thanks for doing the podcast as usual. Yeah, you're welcome. And, uh, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> just Bo. Just Bo. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, I've been Matthew Briggs doing another podcast. We'll be back with you next week for a topic of our choosing that we have yet to decide. But keep looking out on, on our various Twitters, because we'll probably, like, telegraph it yeah like we did this time and then delivered on two-thirds of it hey it's not bad for us <laughs> so see you in a week's time bye bye